What's up? You'll hear it. Hey, this is Bob Deboo, the host of the Upright Citizens podcast. Got a question for you. How would you like to get inside the mind of one of the most recorded musicians of all time? Well, here's your chance. The legendary bassist Ron Carter will join the Open Studio community on June 14th for an exclusive one-time only live mentor session. You don't want to miss this. To learn the secrets to the maestro's iconic sound, gain insights to his unique musical mind in real time, pick his brain on his illustrious career, and get answers that'll propel your music to new heights. Join today and unlock your free 14-day trial at openstudiojazz.com. Then you'll be able to not only join the maestro in this exclusive conversation, but dig into his brilliant course, Blueprint for Jazz Bass, and so much more. So sign up now. Peace. So how do you see, you know, coming out of this pause slash lockdown pandemic period, how do you see these issues? I mean, obviously people, I don't know about obviously, but it feels like there's an openness to, you know, audiences and musicians to really realigning and, and uh, you know, possibly even really understand and look at through a different lens, the idea of BAM and Black American music and like where this music can go. Um, but how do you see that actually happening, like with venues and clubs? Because everyone's talking about this is like, I mean, there's the whole issue of like, are people going to want to go into the Vanguard where there's no windows and there's no, there's bad mm. ventilation and there was already disease being spread before COVID probably, <laughs> you know? But I mean, even beyond that, like, where do you see things going? Are you optimistic? Are you uh, optimistic mm. about the scene in the coming years? I am. Um, well, one thing I would say with specific regard to BAM, is I've seen a tide changing uh, really uh, over the whole 10 years, but almost accelerated accelerated um, in this COVID era. Mm. Uh, I think that last summer with uh, that, that sequence of murders of uh, Ahmed Aubrey and uh, Breonna Taylor and George Floyd, that really gave the nation a pause that we, we really have a lot of work to do in terms of race, relations in this country mm. and with each successive thing like this it, and it's such an, an unfortunate price and a sacrifice that lives have to be lost black lives have to be lost for america to develop a consciousness about themselves like at a certain point it's just a price too high to pay mm. but if, but if anything can be brought about as a result of it is that we become more serious uh and that the the, the the need to um, change becomes hopefully more dire. Mm. And I don't feel it's happened yet. It's ha it hasn't gotten dire enough. We've, we're still having these same conversations. Mm. Um, but what I noticed with BAM, now when I started BAM in 2011, we're like in the height of the Obama years. So most folks, black folk, black, black folks included, thought we, are, we were already in the promised land. Mm -hmm. Obama, we have a black president. We never thought we would see one. We're good, right? right? You know, there was even this mode of thought called post-blackness, like that we're beyond it now. We're just beings on this planet. Uh, and then when we saw the amount, you know, Black Lives Matter started under Obama. That's something all too often forgotten. It's not a Trumpian phenomenon. Like it started while we had a black president. And 
we saw that he was very crippled in some senses of not being able to actually do anything about it. Um, so uh, when I was talking about these things, it was just a very uncomfortable situation and a conversation. Now I've seen where I'm not even talking about it so much and everyone else is talking about race all the time. Mm. I've seen institutions of higher learning now wanting to change their jazz departments to black American music departments. Tulane University has already voted and they'll be starting their first uh, black American music uh, track this coming fall. Wow. Uh, there's also talk at New England Conservatory mm. of them doing the same thing. So now at that level, now we're talking about the institutions of America, mm. education, which is the primary foundation of thought in this country. Uh, that they're beginning to embrace and, and accept BAM for what it is, for what I was saying 10 years ago. But it takes time. And not unlike the music itself, you know, I think about someone like Thelonious Monk, who I think he wrote something like 52 tunes or something like that. A lot of the tunes that were on those records that uh, achieved more popular fame, he had recorded 10 years ago mm. already. People had just gotten hit to his music. So he had the fortitude to soldier for his vision. He, he didn't write more new tunes. He just said, I'm gonna keep playing these songs until people actually hear them. Right. And it's become a, a, a very uh, important part of the fabric of the sound of American music. Um, so that that's the BAM part of, of where I see all of this. In terms of the music itself and its viability, uh, me hanging on Frenchman Street, I'm noticing a younger crowd it's almost like we're at the brink of another roaring 20s, mm. which was very similar to coming out of the Spanish flu and people being cooped up. And then when they transcended that and people started going out and here's Louis Armstrong. We are at the precipice of that moment again, mm -hmm. right now, that I'm noticing. The crowds, I've been hanging out at this spot, uh, which is like one of my favorite. I'll, I'll go, ahead, go ahead and say uh, mm -hmm. it's my favorite spot right now to hang out, called the Royal Frenchman. And it's a hotel, but they have a courtyard outside. Mm. So there's different types of venue in the same space. Uh, outside courtyard, and then you have a lobby area, which is kind of sleek and hip with a bar. And then there's a bar next to that. It's a younger demographic. They're into the music. They're excited. They've been cooped up in their houses for the last year and a half. Right. And they're happy to see people in music. And I hear people like hollering at the music in the appropriate places, like mm. when you listen to Charlie Parker albums from the 40s. <laughs> and these are kids. What happened? Oh my God. Did we lose them? My whole thing, I just said, try again on the StreamYard stream. Hello. Oh, I'm going back. See if you can get back in. Okay. okay. Hey, sorry, we lost you for a second. Cool. Can you okay, hear us? Yeah. Okay. Charlie Park, I, I, we lost your Charlie Parker record in the 40s. If you can okay, pick cool. up there, please. But yeah, but I'm hearing people hollering in the appropriate places in the music, mm. like a Charlie Parker album in the 40s. And what I'm seeing now is we have an opportunity to, to develop younger, newer generations. Nothing against older folks. Yeah. We got y'all there. I'm not being an agent, so I don't want to say that we want to abandon our older audiences, but we need to develop younger ones if this music is to continue to live. And the demographic for the music can't be younger than the audience itself. 
Right. So, um, so that's what I'm seeing. So I, I would actually um, uh, encourage everyone in their respective cities and their locales to develop this kind of scene for the music again, because people are hungry for it. They, again, they've been cooped up in their houses. They're ready to get out safely, of course. And um, if you can connect with them in this moment, you will establish a relationship that will carry them through throughout the rest of their lives. Yeah. So I, I think it's really up to us um, how we want to steer this ship. It's a golden opportunity. We can look at it on the negative side, but I choose to look at it on a positive side. Yeah, we've been out of work and it's been a depressed kind of state, but out of these things come great can come great reward. You know, as they say, no mud, no lotus. Mm. You know, what are we going to take this opportunity? You want to make take these lemons and make lemonade. That's yeah. how I choose to look at it. And and we 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 are at the brink. From what I'm seeing happening at the Royal Frenchman, we're at the brink of another Roaring Twenties mm. and making this music a viable part of the fabric of society once again. Uh, that's great. That's Amazing. great. Yeah. So I love. Okay. So I wrote down Royal Frenchman because that's apparently developed since I was there 14 months ago. So I'm gonna I'm gonna be there. Yes. <laughs> where, where, you got to take me there when, when I come back. Yeah. Let's let's hang. But now how? And I'm assuming because I know this is coming from you that that's not the, you know, hopefully the trend that I had seen over the past few years in New Orleans. Um, not always just on Frenchman Street, but definitely as it's exploded. Because I remember, as you do, when Frenchman was like dead. I mean, it was like Snug Harbor and Cafe Brazil, and what was the uh, and Istanbul, kind of if they were open, if they do. (laughs) But um, but then there's the whole like two lanes, not I mean, not just two lane, kind of out 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 of town university student trying to play brass band music on the corner, which I was starting to see take off. Like, how how do we avoid? Yeah, well, it's it's a mixed bag. Yeah, it, 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 it's at risk of gentrification, if not been completely gentrified already. Mm-hmm. You know, like I remember when the Pauline connection was thriving right on that corner. Right. Now it's a Willie Mays chicken shack, which people think is some old New Orleans institution. Right. But it's not. It's a fairly new construct. No yeah. disrespect to Willie Mays, yeah. but it's not an old New Orleans institution. Um, and Frenchman has kind of become a Bourbon Street annex. Mm. So it's all it, it's 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 become very commodified in a way of at when you're talking about when it was just snug in Brazil and yeah, Istanbul, yeah, yeah. it was a true artist hang. Right. And people who were there were really there for the music. Now it's kind of like everyone is like, no, Bourbon Street is not hip. When you're really hip, you go down to Frenchman. Right. But right. if everybody knows it's not hip, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so then not, you gotta keep going further. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's not as underground as people want to believe it is. It's just an alternative to Bourbon Street. Right. However, we can take this as an opportunity. Yes. You know, because those people don't know what they're coming to see. So if you can provide them with, even though they may come for bullshit, if you put real music there in that space, they can't help but be affected by that. And to me, again, it's about the artist taking that bull by the horns and taking control of that situation and making the most out of it. Yeah. You can shit on it and say Frenchman ain't shit and it's a bunch of tourists and a bunch of, you know, gentrifiers and hippies and hipsters and that. No, but then use it as a teachable moment. Mm. This this is a potential to develop a new audience. Right. And that's how I choose to look at it. No, that's great. That's that's fantastic. And 
New Orleans is a place. I mean, anywhere could be, but New Orleans lends itself because you've got that that tradition of cultural joy and awareness that's ingrained, at least in the people that have been there. And it's so pervasive that it does spread to other people from Iowa or Missouri or whatever if they don't realize it. And that's part of the allure and the joy. Yeah, if you just give them the the um the corny strip clubs on Bourbon Street, they're like, wow, you know, this is great. I love doing Nolens, you know, and then it's like an SNL sketch sketch. But um I, I love the way that you're describing it and, and the hope of that. Since we're talking about the old days on Frenchman Street, I want to give you a quick little rapid fire. Oh, here see, we go. No, here no, no. I'll see. I want to see. I'm going to throw some stuff out from, from the past and see what Nick remembers. Because I have the feeling he remembers. St- I already know because he's talking about the jazz futures and stuff that I don't remember. But I want to see if you remember this. Uh, Moon Over Miami. You remember the show? Vaguely, <laughs> okay. When 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 was doing the score for that? Delphio, 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 yes. right? Okay. So, do you remember the time? And remember the studio we used to record at out at the guy's house in New Orleans East? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Amos and Andy Studio. Amos and Andy. <laughs> <laughs> Amos. Didn't we? Didn't we rename it Amos and Andy so dis- Studios? <laughs> it was so disrespectful. That was what? Yeah, Daryl, who's now the uh, the sound. Uh, Engineer at the Marcellus Center, actually. Okay. But yeah, it was so disrespectful. To call <laughs> we, we were young and dumb, I know. Yeah. yeah. And he was like older than us. He's probably like, man, I hate these yeah. punks. Because <laughs> didn't we say it like to? Didn't we just start calling it that? Yeah. But that was yeah. kind of Delphio. It was Amos fault. and Andy Studios. <laughs> Did so Delphio like have his assistant send out like printed things with that written like an itinerary <laughs> or something? Yeah, I'm, I'm holding on to it. It's Delphio's fault. But, um, okay, do you remember when... Okay, so just to, to, to frame this for everyone, this is back, you know, network television still was like a thing, and they had a show, short-lived, not because of the way, of what we did with the... Well, maybe because of what we did. <laughs> but, I mean, it was jazz, like... Jazz, man. Jazz, <laughs> Exactly. So, but, I mean, this was like a legit ABC, like, it had a pilot. Remember we did the pilot and everything, the music for it? And this is back in the days when, like, nothing was done outside of L.A. because you had, like, big reels and stuff that had to be sent. But they would send them by uh, Delta, like, on the plane because they had to get it to New Orleans. And then Delphia would write the music, and he'd have us all in Amos and Andrew's studio. And we would just record all this stuff. But then, like, a bunch of episodes kind of went by. And then I I think that's when Delphia got the gig with Elvin Jones, actually. Or he got some gig because I remember and then it looked like the show was going to get canceled anyway. So he kind of abandoned it. And you and I were out at A&A. Let's just call it A&A Studios. I feel better about that. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, we were out there and Delphia kind of like just left us a note. It's like, do whatever you can, bro. You know, (laughs) And he just left you the gig. Yeah, he just left us like we're out there. And uh, we've got like the videotapes of the thing. And it was like little like notes on what to do. But I remember like I played some piano or keys, whatever. I don't even know if they had a piano. We had some kind of keys or something. But Nicholas, you played every other part. Like like we both kind of wrote some stuff because they were like, we want some Miles Davisy, whatever. And so we're watching like on the screen as the things go by, like kind of just improvising. And Nick is like at the drums and then he's like overdubbing the bass and then he's like trumpet and stuff. But Nicholas played every single instrument except for the piano that we and we in like a, a matter of like three hours knocked out that whole 60 minute episode. Damn, I forgot all about 
so you got me on that one. Okay, good, good, good. <laughs> well, was, I'd love to hear it and see because I, as I recall, it was some hips. I remember what was you, it called? What was the name of the show? It was called uh, Moon Over Miami, and it was like isn't that a dish at Denny's? <laughs> it sounds like it, yeah, <laughs> but I mean, it was like a an ABC. I think it was ABC. It was like a real show. It just didn't last very long. Um, okay, let me see if I had some other jazz futures. We talked about. Um, Snug Harbor, we talked about. Uh, oh man, that's all I can remember. That's so there great. you go. That's a great. That's great <laughs> podcasting right there, man. This hey, is Pete, you, you remember uh, Time Machine? Yes, Time Machine. Oh, okay, Time Machine, bro. That's a group that a lot of people don't know. It's my group. Yeah. Uh, started it around, I guess, end of '98, mm. which was actually the precursor to my Sonic Trans project. Yes. This is. I don't know if I ever told you this, but. Uh, I actually tried to get us to do an album on Verve. Wow! And I gave I gave uh, Richard Seidel Richard Seidel Dan our guy a tape of one of our gigs. Yeah, and he was just kind of like, Nah, yeah, nah, <laughs> it's, 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's too electric. You can't you can't do that. Yeah, and that's really how Nick at Night came about, which mm. is why I had the harpsichord and the celeste because they wouldn't let me go full on electronic. So I tried to think of acoustic instruments. So the celeste to me was kind of like a rose, mm. and the harpsichord was a little bit like a clap. Right. Um, but yeah, that that band was very, uh, for me, very pivotal to my transition into playing more funk oriented electronic music. Yeah, it was a great band, and some of the like some of my best musical memories. So just to frame it, Kent Jordan. You remember Kent Jordan was in that yeah. band. Kent Jordan, um, Steve Mazakowski. But mm-hmm. but remember the original guitarist, the very first rehearsal. See, I'm gonna stump you on this. I think the very first rehearsal, I think, was at my crib on Desoto, by I the fairgrounds. That, yeah. And mm-hmm. I don't know if Steve could make it or, but it was Mark Whitfield. Yeah. Well, you know what? Yeah, because the the, the guy who kind of inspired me to do it was I saw a gig with Mark, and you were on on roads. I forget who else was in the band, but y'all were playing like some George Benson stuff. And uh, there was a percussionist. I forget who was on percussion. Wait, Mark Whitfield was playing some George Benson stuff? What? (laughs) 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 But yeah, but but seeing y'all do that gig at uh, Snug, I was like, man, I want to do something like that. So that's probably why uh, Mark was at that person. Okay. Chris Severin on bass. Chris Severin. I'm going to see if I can remember the whole band. Adonis Rose on drums, of Mm -hmm. course. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Was that it? Oh, no. Daniel Daniel Andrews made the first gig or so on percussion, percussion right? And then I eventually got Kenyatta Simon. Kenyatta Simon, right? That's right. Yeah. And then there's one other. And then later, and then later Bryce replaced uh, Kent. That's right. That's right. Bryce Winston. And then later I added a uh, Philip Manuel to sing. Dang, that's the one I was hoping you were gonna forget. I was yeah, like, yeah, I'm gonna yeah, get yeah, him yeah. Phil Manuel on vocals. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Philip. Yeah. That was a great band, man. We we played at Jazz Fest uh, one year. I remember had a really really fun set. And uh, mm-hmm. Snug Harbor, and didn't we play at the what was the other? Oh, now I'm gonna get into some bad podcasting as we as we as we go across <laughs> old forgotten venues in the oh, '90s, people, New Orleans. People love to watch you think about <laughs> that kind of stuff. We played, at, we played a, a, on the boat, uh, Dolly's Casino, one time. Oh, we did. That right, yeah. that's right. That same venue at Bally's. That's that was the time I was supposed to play. See if you remember this one with Freddie Hubbard. Remember they were going to have, remember he was kind of yes. bringing in cats and he had like yes. the local rhythm section. I think it was like me and Adonis and 
Paul Fist was on. Paul Fist, yeah. And, you know, Freddie, classic Freddie, like, decided not to come. or Like, he said he was sick and he was going to come. And they, they got you to replace him, remember? Didn't they? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so we did the gig. And then, remember, we went over to the showcase where I think mm-hmm. you had either you had a you already had another gig or somebody had a gig and we were going to sit in and it turned out freddie did come into town and came to he the other there. gig. he said he came to the gig he was in town the whole time he, was in town. he missed his gig and then came to our second gig <laughs> well see man this is this brings home you gotta show up to the gig that's right people. that's right that's right freddie missed his gig he, he still he showed up to the hang it's more important it's more important to make the hang than it is to make your own that's right as long as it's a gig doesn't even have to be the yeah. gig. that's right that's right well what's what as we're coming out of this thing uh hopefully what's what's new for you what's next for you what's what's coming up for you musically sure sure uh 2021 has been uh quite fruitful so far. I started it off with a new symphonic work hmm. uh, commissioned by the Louisiana Philharmonic. Uh, it's called Gold Dust Black Magic. I actually just posted uh, the first movement on my Instagram today. I'll be posting more movements uh, in the next couple weeks. Um, it's 26 minutes long and it's basically uh, a narrative about love and each movement represents a different stage of romantic relationship. Mm. Uh, after that, uh, I had been talking about the whole, um, the whole, well, for years I've been trying to work with Ron Carter and we've played on various gigs. We did the, the Kansas City movie together with Robert Altman back in like 96. Yeah. We've played on a couple of Miles tributes. I made a James Williams album with him, uh, but I've been really angling to try to work with Ron Carter uh, for the past 20, 30 years. Uh, and he finally agreed to do one of my albums, but then COVID hit. Uh, so we were trying to wait for the right moment um, for it to be safe. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was like, you know, as soon as I get vaccinate, vaccinated, we can do it. So he, he got his stuff cool. He was like, I'm cool. After April 1st, I'm available. Mm-hmm. So we picked a date. Uh, Kareem Riggins is on drums, Ron is on bass, myself on uh, keys and trumpet. And we also got George Coleman to guest hmm. on wow. a couple tunes. So this was really like a dream band for me. Uh, Kareem has been a longtime friend and collaborator. Yes. Uh, Ron, I grew up hearing my father was friends with him. My father is a bassist, so my dad actually took lessons with him way back in the 70s, and they were good friends. Um so the album that really is chiefly responsible for me setting out on this path professionally was Four and More by Miles Davis. And though I come up from a musical family in New Orleans, been around this music all my life, uh, hearing that album at 11 years old was like me hearing the music for the first time. I'd already started doing some gigs. I was in the James Andrews band, uh, who's Trombone Shorty's eldest brother. Uh, he had a brass band called the All-Star Brass Band. Mm-hmm. We were based in Treme, which is the area right across the street from Armstrong Park in Congo Square. So I started doing some gigs with them and different people around town. So this is the first time me going to my father's record collection because I had my own records. I was listening to rap and Michael Jackson and, and all that stuff. But I went to go to my father's albums and see like, oh, you know, let me pick out something. Because I heard things they played, but I never made the conscious choice to listen to it on my own volition. Mm. 
So like, oh, Miles Davis is a name I recognize for and more. Let me listen to this. And I put it on side two first. And from the moment I heard like that intro with Tony on the drums on the sax cymbal, though I've been around this music my whole life, I, I was like, I want to do this mm. for real. And uh, I wore that album out every day. Uh, so to have had two people on my album from that album is just such a full circle moment for me. Mm. And almost like a manifestation of me. Like when I was 11 years old, I would pretend I was in a band and pretend I would take mm. Miles and Solo and like pretend I was listening to George and Herbie and all those guys. Mm. And I really did that mm. <laughs> last week. So I'm still kind of riding high oh, from uh, being blessed by those cats to be on my album. Uh, we should come out on Smoke, Smoke Records uh, sometime this fall. Mm. Awesome. So. awesome. Man, Smoke Records has kind of been killing it lately. I with the, I mean, <laughs> with the, the, the music and the artwork and the LPs and stuff. I think that that's some great stuff. How did you end up hooking up with them? Uh, well, Paul Stash, uh, who's the proprietor, had been hitting me up for a while to work at the club. Uh, we started doing a couple gigs. And um, I kind of felt like I wanted to work in partnership with someone. Because, of course, I have my own label. Um, but, um, again, this music is ultimately a communal music. Yep. And I think most big moves require some type of partnership to happen. Just like you guys have, you know, like sure you can do things by yourself, but I think things are better when you work in, con in conjunction with other people. You hear that, Adam? So, uh, you hear what he's saying? That's what I knew there was snark. I knew there was going to be snark coming. I did, I did not tell, see Nick, great minds think alike. That's what I'm talking about. See. <laughs> So uh, after a, a, me doing a couple gigs, there, I was like, man, you know, let's, you know, let's talk about doing something. Mm. So uh, I did my first album for them at the end of 2019, Relaxing with Nick. Yeah. And uh, so this next one coming up is called uh, Smoke Sessions. And it's actually Smoke Sessions Records. So this will kind of be a, a flagship album of sorts for the label. Mm. Awesome. Well, that's great. Well, we will look forward to that. And I know, um, you know, Adam and I are, we have our own little relationship with Mr. Carter too. So we can, we can talk about that another time, but you know. <laughs> no, I, that was a great show, man. I, I enjoyed that. I, no, it was fun. And I, I, I kind of, it's interesting you say about four and more, because for, for me, the record My Funny Valentine, which of course was from the same concert, yeah. uh, that, and I don't know, I mean, I'm sure we probably talked about this well, actually, you know, this is the great thing about doing this. I don't think of all the times we've hung out and stuff, we we never really talk about music in this way. Not as much as folks exactly. probably think we do. But I, I didn't yeah. really, I never knew that about you, about that record. And it's so parallel because for me, it was like when I heard that introduction, I mean, hearing the whole record, but I remember particularly the introduction that Herbie plays Herbie. On, on Stella Vice. I was like, man, I want to do that. I was like, yeah. I, I play piano, but I can't do that. So maybe it's within my realm. But I mean, it was just, and then for me, just getting, and everything. And, and it was as much Ron and George Coleman and Miles yeah, and There's something in the air with that album. For yeah. Sure. Those two. Those yeah. Two. yeah. Yeah. And it was fun because we, I don't remember if we, if it made it onto the, the podcast with Ron, but I asked him about that. I was trying to get him to go in more about the concert and he went in a lot about Miles, but it was funny him and I've asked Herbie about that before. I won't, cause I always hear different things about how they were really upset and how Miles exactly. didn't pay him. I was him or talking something. about that at this session with oh, the was. benefit. Right, 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 right. Mm -hmm. But, um, and, and basically Miles 
gave their money away to the cause. And Ron was like, well, you should ask us. Maybe you don't want to give our <laughs> right. money to that cause. <laughs> right. And you know, you know how Ron is. Like, he said it just like yeah. he was today. It was not like he was bashful or whatever, you know. <laughs> but I, I, I did ask him. When, that was kind of part of what, what we were asking him about if – I, I don't think I artfully – uh, asked the question. I was just so intimidated and just so happy to be there. So, but I wanted to know if he thought, cause you know, the thing with miles, I think everybody's just like, Oh yeah, miles had all that planned out. Like he probably, he might not even given them away the money. He might've kept it, whatever, but like he timed it out that he told them that right before they're about to go on stage. So he could uh, elicit a certain nice. emotion. Yeah. Yeah. Get him. But I, <laughs> and, you know, I kind of asked Ron about that. And he was sort of like, what? No, he just gave our money away or whatever, you know, but I, I always wonder how much it's like, like miles, the calculating genius and then, or miles just messing with them or miles getting lucky or just hiring the right people. There's always that too. I think there's a little bit of that. I don't know. Uh, you know, I've actually heard Ron talk about the fact that oftentimes Miles will call so what, like, and it'll be up there and like Ron saying how like he never felt comfortable mm. starting the gig because it was just always like we start like this off to the races. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I think there's knowing what I know about Miles and I didn't know him personally really at all. Met him once, but like there may be some some bit of that. Svengali type of, you know, <laughs> I'm going to create this dynamic by yeah. which, you know, th they're going to have to rise to the occasion. Right. Just a little bit of, of uh, conflict I and love angst it. to put that in your system before and then, like, you create something out of it. I love it, man. Cat's yeah. getting too soft today. That's right. You know exactly. I mean? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's part of all that. You got to be in person to do yeah. that stuff, though. But I would just, one more thing, and then we're going to let you go, Nick. And I mean, appreciate your time. And, and I know folks yeah, are. An I'm not ready to go. I just. Don't let me go. No, I'm going to let you go. No, but I was wondering about, you know, what you were saying about the different generations and the young cats now looking back to, to the 90s and the way we look back you know, like to Herbie and Ron and, and, and Wayne and, and that generation. But I wonder, it was so arresting for Adam and I, I think, to receive this this call from Ron Carter's assistant, like, you know, Mr. Carter would like to set up a Zoom call. And I was, my first thing was like, Ron Carter is on Zoom? He Even Ron has to be on Zoom? Poor guy, you know? <laughs> but I mean, it was just so, uh, it, it was just like different worlds, you, you know, you know, it was like a collision. But then when we got in there and we were talking with it, because we had a whole conversation before we did the podcast, he just wanted to, to talk to us. And I was just like, man, this dude is truly bored, but he wants to like, but I mean, at first, of course, I thought he wanted to dispute what we said because we did a whole episode about baselines and he, you know, the seven greatest baselines and he happened to play as he would two of them, you know, but it wasn't like a Ron Carter episode, but I was like, all right, we're about mm -hmm. to be schooled. But I was like, that's cool. I mean, we're going to learn something. He won't learn anything, but we'll learn something at least. But then after talking to him, I realized it's like, he's such a, you know, and it's, I mean, you would know way better having just recorded and worked with him, but you know, at age 83 or 84 now, I think the, he, mm -hmm. he's so engaged mentally and so together in this is so, I mean him and Herbie too, like, it's almost like they are at the, it's not about have they maintained, they may be at the very, very top of their game because they've got the mind, they've got the chops. And Ron was talking about how he practices 10 minutes more every day. I was like, dude, stop, just stop at this point. You got it, you know, <laughs> but they, but he wants Man, to be engaged. Did. You know, he wants, he doesn't have to go record with you. He definitely doesn't have to sit on a, on a zoom with us, but he wants to be engaged. And so it's a precious thing that we're, that we're getting that from them. It does. And, and, and really the scheduling, the biggest hiccup was him being committed to teaching his students three times a week, 
Mm -hmm. was like, we had like these two day windows right. by which we had to work between because he was like, he's not canceling his lessons with his students because right. that's important to him. Right. So right. to your point, like, yeah, he really actively wants to be engaged. Yes. And I'll tell you, like, he showed up to the session I, and I was a bit nervous because I heard stories about Ron, like blasting cats yeah. in sessions, particularly piano players. Yeah. So I was like, man, he's going to vibe the fuck out of me. <laughs> like, <laughs> totally cool mm. totally in service to the music none of that shit i had heard about was present to the contrary he was just very humble and very much in service like what do you want nicholas like and just played his ass off like just crazy yeah yeah but see you, you... then i got to do all my fake herbie shit <laughs> were you like sneaking in at first to see if he'd let you know, yeah. Like... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah but see you don't believe me he vibes sad piano players you just had an experience. Yeah, well, I, I felt good, man. And George Coleman, look, George Coleman told me, man, Nicholas, I love your piano playing. And he said, I love your chord changes. For George Coleman, the oh, king man. of chord substitution, to yeah, tell me that, yeah. right. I'm retiring. <laughs> oh, that's You'll so hear it. I'm officially retired. You're an open studio. Oh. good. <laughs> That's so awesome. So uh, I know I just keep saying one more thing, but it's but since you did say you had no, a minute, man. see, <laughs> um, let's go. Hold on, before we move on, when yeah. does that album come out again? Can you say again that the set the uh, session in the fall sometime, the fall. maybe okay. uh, October. Cool, cool. We don't have a set release date yet, but uh, yeah, this fall. Cool. Well, let's just keep rolling. You got anything to do, Adam? I mean, if you do, you you can. I mean, as long as one of us here, let's do this. <laughs> I'm still in a pandemic, man. Now, what <laughs> did I say about camaraderie? <laughs> <laughs> I know. Look, I'm like, if you're good, I'm good. <laughs> Um, well, I was just I was just thinking of something because um, uh, it was so fun this morning. I did a quick full disclosure. I did a quick deep dive. I, I got nervous all of a sudden at the last minute when you agreed to do this interview. I was like, man, this isn't going to be like Ron Carter. I was like, I've known Nicholas for so long. It's just but I woke up this morning panicked. I was like, wait, I got to do a deep dive and really learn about Nicholas. I'm like on Wikipedia and stuff. <laughs> but um but I was looking up just different videos, uh, and actually some of my favorite videos of yours aren't even up on YouTube, like the Newport uh, Jazz Festival. I think that's gotten taken down. Um, but <laughs> no, man, no, you were good on that. <laughs> <laughs> but I would just recommend for folks, since you're talking about your piano playing, the Tiny Desk, I think, I don't know how you feel about that performance, but I think that's such a great hmm. representation of your like keyboard concept in such a clear way. I mean, of course, you're playing... Uh, trumpet and stuff too but i love like just the way you play it i'd highly recommend unless you tell folks not to you know and now they're really gonna want to go if you say uh, that yeah <laughs> how do you feel about that show well there were a lot of challenges behind the scenes so i feel it was cool and i had a great band with me ben williams yep. and jonathan barber played beautifully um i had just come back from europe i was super jet lagged i didn't feel like getting on a flight so i had my managers uh assistant drive me there i had a gig that night with kevin eubanks mm. at birdland at the time so i had to drive there during the day do the tiny desk the roads were super weird mm. i mean it was like kind of like the second most fucked up roads i've ever played mm. and i only say the second worst because i can't remember the first <laughs> that's saying something for a road <laughs> it was really bad man yeah, yeah. and i was like fuck Mm. But, you know, it, it, it came off. I feel cool about the performance, but there were definitely a lot of challenges. There's no monitors in that space. Mm. Right. Tiny so desk. you have to hear and you have to play very quiet to get a balance. That's right. why you see, like, there's not a lot of full-out 
drumming there. Like drummers are using those like fake brush things. I don't know what you're Plastics. Them, like, the, the spoke. Yeah, 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 they're using those. Yeah, yeah. Uh, when we did the ballad, Othello, you see our drummer, Jonathan Barber, he's playing with his hands. Yeah. We were playing super soft. Now on the mic, it sounds present, mm-hmm. but we were playing at a whispers. Mm. You know, you can hear a rat pissing on cotton. That's all. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, you know, it was challenging, but yeah, I, I think it was cool. And as, as you said, I think it's a, a cool representation of like the different stuff that I do. So yeah, I would, I would say check it out for mm-hmm. sure. Cool. Well, it's good because we already linked to it in the description to this video. So <laughs> not that we couldn't change that, you know. <laughs> no, that's that's cool. I'm just thinking of other like, you know, like I mentioned before, Nick at Night. I think that's such a, you know, uh, a great record. And I didn't even realize now it totally makes sense. You said that came out of the time machine thing. And, and that's not even why. I just think that that like I think that that is one of the great uh, groups or quintets that came along during that period of the 90s and it's kind of convenient it went I know beyond the 90s but it's sort of convenient in that that's the decade that it sort of rests um, Ruben Rogers, Tim Warfield, Adonis Rose, uh, Anthony Wanzi but I know you were talking a couple years ago about possibly bringing back uh, that or like kind of a yeah. reunion or a revival what's, what's happening? Yeah. Is that still possible? Yeah. And also I don't know if you remember Pete but you, you were actually the first person to play that music. We did a gig at Snug Harbor before I flew to New York mm-hmm. to record. Yep. So I used that gig as a demo for Wanzi and Ruben and those guys to hear the music. We did mm. a gig with Bryce, me, yourself. I forget who was on beat. Jason Stewart was Jason on Stewart, pro- yeah, yeah. And we played all that music Wow. Uh, at Snug Harbor. Cool. I before, mean, I remember yeah. playing the music. I didn't remember that was the... Because that was like Back that to the, the Source gig. and... Uh, Man, that's some great. Yeah, after that, that yeah, the, after that actually is like uh, Beyond the Stars, all that oh, stuff right. with the new composed stuff. Right, right, right. But um, anyway, yeah, we we were the quintet was supposed to reunite, goddamn COVID in <laughs> twenty twenty at the Jazz Showcase. Oh right, uh, right, December. Right. Yeah, uh, we're talking about trying to maybe do it this December into New Year's, but mm-hmm. we don't know what the status will be with things opening up or not yeah but if all all goes well uh that'll happen uh this december at the uh, jazz showcase in chicago oh that'll be great i mean it's such a uh, great venue and you know just so folks know that that uh Nicholas, uh, some of you know because I've I've heard from you a bunch of you on this, but Nicholas headed up an amazing tribute to Roy Hargrove that we did an unofficial or maybe it was official. I can't even remember. It was a very spiritual and musical tribute to Roy Hargrove. It very heartfelt. Uh, just a couple months after his passing at the showcase, people are still talking about that one. Yeah, no, it was an That's amazing. Right yeah, it was an amazing thing. It was a great week. Yeah. I felt like Roy was there. Yes, I, it felt like he was in the room. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, Nicholas put together a, a group of musicians, all of which played with Roy. And, I mean, we had played at different times with him during that week at um, in Chicago, you know, at the at the old showcase. So it was like that whole connection. That was his tradition there during that time, right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that was a, a, a really wonderful thing. So that was the last. So that was two years ago. And then, yeah, yeah. last year was canceled. That's right. Wow. That's how time goes. So what what's happening yeah. with the clubs in New Orleans now? Like, what is the level of, of stuff opening things, and, and people's willingness to thing, come out? Thing, things are starting to open up. Uh, mm-hmm. I had my first indoor gig two weekends ago at Tipitina's. Um, my first indoor gig in the last year and a half. Mm. 
Um, so yeah, that was cool. Things are opening up. Um, things are spread out. Tipitinas, which is norm- normally standing room only, they're now seated. Mm-hmm. Reservations ahead of time. Tables have to be so far spread mm-hmm. and so forth. So things are opening depending on the type of venue and the setup. If it's outside or not, the regulations are different. Right, right, right. But right. there's definitely music both indoors and outside right now, whereas for the longest it was only outside. Right. So. Cool. Well, man, thank you so much, Nick. Uh, this has been like just really cool. And I know that uh, folks are appreciative always to hear you um, talking about music and talking about these kind of things that are. Um, you know, it's not just, hey, I've got a new record coming out and jazz is awesome. Jazz is awesome, dude, you know. <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> these these things that are really, um, I think, over this past decade, as as you alluded to, since, you, you know, you first... Actually, it's funny, you talk about the, the tweets. You've always been ahead of the game with the social media thing because I'm just remembering you said about the tweets became the essay, became the blog. But before mm. that, I remember when you... I remember the email... The Nick Payton private email that was like yeah before social media before like Nick had his own social network happening at him, and, <laughs> but he was doing it via email because that was the only thing that you could that was do. All you had, yeah. But it was like a thing if you got on the you know man did you get the email? No, I want to see if I can get on the thing. Can you find? No, I, I don't because I remember people asking me. They were like, oh, you get his email? I was like yeah, and they were like, can you forward it? And I was kind of like no. I was like, oh, I don't want to be that guy because then Nick will be like, yo, you're not on the list anymore because <laughs> you shouldn't have forwarded that last one. <laughs> Oh, but, you know, so I would just say, you know, on behalf of a a, a lot of folks, man, keep on, you know, playing, of course, this and this and all you do, but keep on speaking and keep on, you know, helping all of us and and leading because it's it's needed. And I love your optimistic tone coming out. That makes me feel great just hearing that because it confirms what I wanted to hear. But also because I know if it's coming from you, it's got some some force and some will behind it. So much appreciated and much love to you always. Uh, love you. Yeah, love you, man. And come on anytime. We're here every Monday. It's me <laughs> and this guy. See? <laughs> and pop in. And it's popping. We're going to get the sound happening next time. But this will be up on the uh, podcast on Thursday for everybody with pristine audio. Wait, did you press record? I did. Okay. And we're we're going to, we'll re upload, we'll re upload the YouTube conversation with the pristine audio as well, right? Right after this. You got to understand, Nick, we've been in here like this whole time. So you, can you kind of see us? We're across from each other here. Throw now? this right at you there. Yeah, I can, we throw, we have plexiglass, but we are COVID safe. Oh up in here you know (laughs) it's like a sneeze guard man like at the ponderosa (laughs) (laughs) so uh thanks so much nick thanks everybody for tuning in thanks adam and um until next time you'll hear it man